Well, we're going to start at the beginning this morning, Genesis 1, so if you want to turn there, that's where we'll be hanging out for a little bit, and then we'll be over in Luke chapter 10. So, um, so we're in a series on, called Calibrate, which just kind of remind you what we're doing as we're, we're kind of rehashing through who we are as a church and the things we value and the vision we have as a church, which which we believe is really who we're to be as people. Okay, um, let me remind you this morning, lest you forgot that you didn't come to church. You were talking about that? Hey, we're going to go to church. No, we don't go to church. We, we are the church. Okay, so thinking about this idea of calibrating our minds around who we're to be as the people of God. And today we're going to look at uh, our value as a church and Jesus' value as a creator and as Lord of people. What does it mean for us to value people? Um, which is pretty timely and fitting, um, you know, after coming off of Valentine's Day, right? I mean, thinking about what, is, what does culture say about love? What does culture say about people? What does culture say about how we're to engage with people, love people, serve people, um, so let's go to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1. Let's all say it together, can we? You guys know this? Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Simple, right? Let's stop there for a second. It's, it's simple, right? So this past week, uh, my daughter wasn't feeling well. Um, and actually Friday, and uh, she didn't want to miss Friday because it's Valentine's Day, or it's like Valentine's Day parties. Um, so uh, went into school, and she wanted me to walk her back to her class, which um, at, a, at Russell Elementary is kind of a big ordeal, because you got to sign in and get a badge, and they like talk you through like to try to you know like keep you from going back to the teacher because the teacher's getting ready and you don't want to distract them. So anyway, finally like we're like okay, um, can I walk her back? She's not feeling well. I just want to chat with her teacher for a second. Um, and we're walking back, walking down the hall, and I got my official visitor, visitor sticker, um, and she like looks at me, and she's like, Daddy, all my friends know who Mommy is, but a lot of them don't know who you are, so they get to see you. And so I, I walk in the door, and all of a sudden you hear, there's Mikhail's dad. Is that Mikhail's daddy? Look, it's Mikhail's dad. Hi, I've seen you before. You're Mikhail's dad. I'm just like, hey, you know, how's it going? Um, there's, so there's this, there's this thing, at least right now, with my kids, that like, like I'm, I'm a hero to them. Like, they're amazed. Like, they have a question. I have an answer. Something's broken. Like, I can fix it. Like, picture Mikhail walking down the hall, like, my kids, they get to see who my dad, like, she's, she loves me. Like, she thinks I'm amazing. More and more, as my kids grow older, that will change, right? Like, there'll come a day where my daughter's like, Dad, don't, no, don't come to my class. Don't tell, like, I don't want my kids to know who you are. Like, it's coming, Right? Even more and more now, my kids are beginning, their eyes are beginning to open to see that I'm a broken, fallen, sinful man. 
Well, I pray on some levels I'll always be a hero in their eyes. More and more they'll come to see that I'm a man, gosh, who needs to repent, who needs to grow, who makes mistakes. Listen, we start the introduction to the Bible to see in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So God's the one who caused like God's not the fallen, broken. He didn't like, he wasn't created. He's the one who, who was always, always been, who's the hero, who's the creator God over everything. And whereas you and I are broken, sinful human beings, we stand and live our lives under a God who's holy and perfect and who is not a created being, who is not finite, but is infinite, who's powerful, who's perfect, and who's holy. Gosh, that's where we got to begin this morning. That's where we need to begin every single morning of every single day, putting God in the proper perspective of who he is. Now look down at verse 26. Verse 26. It says, Then God said, Actually, let me stop for a sec. So basically what we just skipped for sake of time is the whole creation account, days one through like 6a, um, of God creating, creating the world, creating um, plants and animals and land and water and the sun and the moon, um, creating fish and everything. And then we come to day six. And check out what it says. It says that God said, then God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the um, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God's basically dreaming up here what it might look like for Him to create you and me. Okay, that that we would have dominion, that we would have rule and authority on the earth. And 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and, have dim- and, and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Like, we're to have dominion. We're to have control and charge over the animal world. Over all aspects of life, he gives it to mankind to rule. God said, behold, I've given every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And every tree with seed in its fruit you shall have for them to eat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has The breath of life I've given every green plant for food, and it was so. And then God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, up to this point, you've probably seen this before, but up to this point, every time at the end of each day God created, he says it was good. Created is good. But he gets to day six when he creates humanity, and he pauses for a second, and he says... Gosh, not just good, but this 
being that I've created is above and beyond every other thing I've created. And it is very good. Now, what is it about mankind that makes it very good and not just good? Did you pick it up in verse 26? Image of God. Image of God, which can, can, is often used in this Latin terminology, the Imago Dei. The Imago Dei. And this picture of what it means to be created in the image of God really depicts several things, but um, a few of them are this. This idea that we rule and subdue the earth, that we exercise dominion, that he gives us charge to have control, to have rule, to have government and authority. He gives us charge. Okay, that the whole earth was given to sustain mankind and not the opposite. Like, it's, it's almost like God, God creates mankind and, and shows us like, that, that the earth is a gift to us. It's like, here, here, go, enjoy, live, love, cultivate, multiply. It's a gift. But the other crazy thing about the Imago Dei is this interpersonal relationship that humanity has with Creator God. That God designed us to have relationship with Him. To converse with Him. To have this responsibility for our actions. Right? Like, Fido's not going to stand before God on Judgment Day and give an account for peeing on the carpet or chewing up your shoe. Right? You're like, Fido, who's Fido? I actually made that up. Okay? But you and me, we, we have a responsibility. We're gonna, we have to stand before God and give an account. We have a res- we're responsible for our actions. We're responsible for our choices. We're people that are given standards by which we must choose to live. Augustine talked about the ideas of memory and intellect and the ability to love and to understand love. Okay? In a way, you could sit, push back and be like, well, animals can love. And have you seen like National Geographic and pick like, in a way that's unlike any other being. That we can understand and fathom what it looks like to love. Think about Adam's ability to work and name the animals and cleave to Eve. Okay, all these things that are qualities for, for relationship with God and really for stewarding. Okay, because what happens when, when someone passes away? What do we do? We just bury him in the backyard? When someone gets sick, we just put him down? Matt, grandma, put her, senile, put her down, take her in. No, you can do that with your, with your dog. Why? Like even within society, there's these rules and these boundaries that point to the image of God. I love uh, what one theologian puts. He puts it like this regarding the image of God. Uh, named Stephen Dempster, he says... Uh, Thematically, as well as verbally, humanity is crowned the royalty of creation. Whereas other creatures come about by the divine word in a predictable manner. Let there be and there was. You know, let there be light and there was light. Let there be animals and there was animals. It's predictable. 
He says there's a pregnant theological pause before the creation of humanity. God takes counsel with himself before speaking. Like, look at, look at 26. This is just phenomenal. It's like, then God said, let, let, let's make man in our image. Like, who's the us? Who is it? It's the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Like, taking counsel, like, man, hey, painting this picture of what humanity might look like, what mankind might look like. Let's make man in our image. Like, they'll, they'll be like us. They'll mirror and model us. They'll be called into relationship with us. They'll have dominion like us. They'll create and procreate like us. And then in 27, he says, so God created. Dempster describes the Imago Dei in another time like this. He says, the earth is created for human dominion and rule, which reflects the divine rule. For human beings to function as the image of God, they need a territory, a dominion to rule over. And to have the land without human beings is pointless, for the kingdom needs a king. The dominion, a dynasty. So we're created in the image of God, which I think absolutely levels the playing field. Because every single human being you come into contact with is created in the image of God, just like you are. It doesn't change it if you're a Christian, if you believe the Bible or don't believe the Bible, if you live conservative lifestyle or you live a liberal lifestyle. If you're a human being, you're created in the image of God. Which means you have dignity, you have value, you have worth. Okay? Which changes how we think and how we see people and how we interact with them. Um... So, this weekend, uh, to depict what so much of the world describes as love, we get this film called Fifty Shades of Grey. Like you, you see it everywhere, right? Like, like every other post, there's some article, there's some, like, this is what's happening. Like, there's just, it, like, it's just bombarded. Everywhere I looked in the past week, been bombarded with this film. It's interesting because it's like, like, what do we do with this film that's like highly controversial? And even like the actors talking about some of the issues they had with role playing and walking out what's walked out in this film. And it's interesting because like the film depicts this pursuit of relationship that I believe is the dehumanization of women that I believe really is this idea of, of inflicting pain with some goal to produce gratification. Okay, and there's this role play of a dominant and a submissive. Okay, that I'm going to dominate and you're going to submit. All under the permission of consent. Right? Okay, but last time I checked, consent does not make something right or wrong. Two human beings, two adults if they are, uh, under consent doesn't mean they can do whatever they want as long as they consent. 
Okay, I, I can consent that a person, I can write on a piece of paper, I give you permission to beat me to a pulp. Not that that's what they're predicting here in this film at all, because it's not. Um, that you could beat me to a pulp, but I consent, so it's okay. Now listen, God has put his image in us, which means we have dignity, value, and worth. And the call of the loving relationship is to serve and protect and to sacrifice, never to dominate. Never to dominate. And it's crazy because that, like, that's the picture. It's like, happy Valentine's Day. Here's, here's what love is. Here's what love is. And listen, God doesn't grant permission for one human being to dominate another human being. I mean, we could, we could just continue carrying this on. Human trafficking. Human trafficking is the second largest criminal industry in the world. $150 billion in illegal revenue annually. From labor trafficking to sex trafficking to organ trafficking, child trafficking, forced child marriage, debt bondage. There's an average of 1.2 million children trafficked yearly. And from prostitution, the average age where a girl would enter that is the age of 13 or 14 years old. And what's expected of them in a given day is ridiculous. I'll just leave it at that. And the average owner of one of these children makes $150,000 to $200,000 a year. And they average four to six girls that they own. Gosh, I'm just like, as a dad? Like, can you imagine, like, someone making that kind of money off of your kid? From discrimination in the workplace to, to racism, bullying in schools. I mean, we could go all over the place here where there is a loss of the Imago Day. There's a dysfunction. This degradation of people created in the image of God is a failure to live out and embrace the Imago Day. Now, you're like, like, what do you want me to do with that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to go to Luke 10. And I want to put it on the ground a little, a little bit better. And it's easy to throw out those statistics. It's easy to be like, look at this, like, smoke you and be like, oh, thanks for ruining my day. Let's go. Um, but no. Um, Jesus makes it incredibly practical. Luke chapter 10. I'm going to go to a familiar passage here. But I want to draw some things out that I think are pretty striking. In the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up. I'm at, I'm at 25, 10:25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Talking about Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. So we know from Deuteronomy 6, 5, like God sums up all the law, all of his commandments. What is required of you and me? Man, love him. Love God. Love people. 
We'll talk about God in a couple weeks. I'm not going to talk about him today. Um, we'll talk about the value of God in a couple weeks. Um, but today we're talking about what does it mean to value people? And the word that Jesus uses here is what? Neighbor. I know. You're like, really? Do you know my neighbor? You know who drives on my lawn and parks in front of my house? And but Let's look at this word neighbor. Keep reading. 29. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, so this is, um, maybe you've heard before, this, this road was a very dangerous road. It was oftentimes called the bloody way. Extremely dangerous, very common for those traveling to be hit by robbers. This man that was traveling down the road, was a Jew. Was a Jew. Um, I'll explain why that's important here in a second. Um, 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. So two of really the most devout religious people of the day Okay, it'd be like a pastor or a priest. Like you would expect them to like serve the homeless person, serve the poor. Like, of course, like that's what, they're religious. They're a pastor. They're like that's what they would do, right? Well, here's an example of of a priest and a Levite that, upon seeing this this man who's beaten, um, bleeding in the street, they um, they go by, leave him alone. Uh, Thirty three. But a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Okay, now, here's the crazy thing about this story. That if you're familiar with the culture of Jews and Samaritans, Jews were to have nothing to do with Samaritans. Like, by law, they couldn't deal with them, they couldn't have conversation with them, they couldn't touch them, they couldn't even travel through the same town as them. John 4, Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well. Okay? Not allowed. Who's on the ground right now in this story? A Jew. Bleeding, vulnerable. Who's walking by? A Samaritan. Okay, talk about an opportunity. Okay, Samaritans were half-breeds of a different ethnicity. They were nobodies. Nobody cared about them. Outcasts. The outcast is walking by the Jew who their society is that Samaritans are garbage and here this opportunity for the Samaritan to not only walk by him but potentially kick him in the face or here have yours. What does he do? He has compassion. He has compassion to the one who's mistreated, who's hated, who's not loved, who's not held up his Imago Dei reality. 
And then Jesus says this to this lawyer who's challenging Jesus in 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Okay, now, I want to give you three things. Three things that I just want to pull out very practically what I think it means for you and me to love and value people as illustrated in this story. Number one is this. Love for people cannot be based upon performance. Is that, is that not so easy to do? Gosh, I'm like, even as I say that, I'm like, how, e- how much easier is it for me to love someone who performs in a certain way, who acts the way I want them to act, who does what I want them to? How much easier is it for me to love my wife? How much easier is it for me to love my coworker when they do their job, when they show up for their shift, Right? Or I have to take on the responsibility of covering for them, being sure. Like, it's so much easier when they do what I want them to do. But love isn't based on performance. And that's the gospel, right? Like, God doesn't look at us and say, because you've performed so well. No. We know we're not saved by good works. But yet we tend to love people by good works. We tend to love our kids when they obey. Our friends when they're there for us and they give us what we want or need. It's so easy. It's so easy. This, it's this good works mentality. Okay, that when people aren't operating in, in a sense of good works, what do we do? We can shame them. We can look upon them poorly and give them some harsh love of Jesus as to who they need to be if they're walking in sin or it's loving them based on performance. So let me throw out this question to you. How do, how do you respond to people who aren't like you? Different values, different opinions, different political stance, different hobbies, different race or ethnicity, different views on sexuality. How do you, how do you respond to them? Because I think if we're not careful, what do we do? We surround ourselves with homogenous relationships. We surround ourselves with people that are just like us, that act like us, that talk like us, that love the things that we love. And I think you look at the story of Jesus, and you look at this story of the, the Good Samaritan, and you think about love not being based upon performance. Like, can you sit down? And have a conversation with somebody that sees things very differently with you and interact with them and love them. Like some of you do that really well. Maybe some of you struggle with that. Maybe you wrestle with that. Maybe there's thoughts of judgment. I think one of the hugest thing on the table right now for the church is the issue of homosexuality. When's the last time that you engaged someone in the gay community with loving conversation to try to understand where they're at and what they're thinking and what life is like for them? Man, that's, that's the picture of the Good Samaritan. 
And I think that as the church, regarding this particular issue, what we can tend to do is stand in condemnation and stand in judgment upon things that we can maybe view as this doesn't honor God or this. And like, man, like you sit down with somebody and you have a conversation with them about what their life is like. Does that necessarily justify what the, what, how they live or what they do? No, but listen, it gives you a perspective. Okay? Compassion comes with proximity. When you get in proximity with somebody that you see differently or they have a different faith than you, gosh, how easy is it to look at people who live differently, act differently, see things differently, and to just see them as an enemy as opposed to someone that's created in the image of God? That we shop at the same grocery store, we get gas at the same gas station, we eat the same kind of food. Our bodies are the same. And listen, as people of God, we're called to live out the grace and mercy of God to people that don't understand the grace and mercy of God. And oftentimes, we don't understand the grace and mercy of God. And we don't believe the truth of the gospel. What does it look like? Let's just put that. I mean, there's a whole lot of conversation to have on that, on that topic. But what does it look like to love people that are different than you? That have different religious views? Political views? Can you engage with them and love them? And here, here's, here's my biggest conviction lately. Is that we cannot properly love people without giving them Jesus. And what does that look like? Luke 10. The Good Samaritan. Compassion. Does that mean you don't speak truth? Heck no, it means you speak truth. But I think it looks a whole lot different than we can tend to think or we can tend to operate because our tendency is to treat the unbelieving world like they're different in the sense of their image. They're created in the image of God. Ferguson? It's an Imago Day issue. It's an Imago Day issue. It's seeing people like they're different. Listen, we're created in the image of God. Every single human being on the planet. Okay, I think the horse is dead. We've beat it enough. Let's go on to the next point. Number two. Uh, Jesus refuses to let us limit not only how we love but who we love. Because I think it's easy for us to set boundaries on how we love, but when we think about who we love, okay, um, who did Jesus hang out with? Anybody? What did you say? Numbskulls? Okay. What? Sinners? Money swindlers, drunks, outcasts, prostitutes, fishermen. I love Jonathan Edwards. He says, uh, Christ loved us and was kind to us and was willing to relieve us, though we were so, hate- we were so very hateful persons and an evil 
and of an evil disposition, not deserving of any good. So we should be willing to be kind to those who are very undeserving. You have people in your life that, that we could pigeonhole into this undeserving of love category. But the gospel shatters that because we're people that are unbelievably undeserving of the love of God. Okay? You have the story of the good Samaritan, right? That's the picture of what it means to love your neighbor, which, by the way, let me make this really clear. Your neighbor is anyone in your path. The good Samaritan's traveling along the, along the road. He comes upon this guy, happens to be a Jew, right in his path. Who you come across today, this afternoon, who you come across at work tomorrow, who you see on a regular basis, who you run into the grocery store. That's your neighbor. That's my neighbor. So we have the story of the good Samaritan. But Jesus was the great Samaritan. He's the one who depicted that all the more. How easy is it for us to buy into this um, about who we love, this give and take in relationships? That we love people that offer, that you know, produce, or that give something back. Like Luke 14, there's this story where Jesus is like, hey, when you have a feast... You familiar with the stories? Like, when you have a feast, don't invite, like, all your friends and all your brothers and sisters that, that in the end will repay you. It says when you have a feast, invite the poor and the crippled. Invite the lame and the blind. Because they can't repay you. And we're like, why? Like, how hard is that, right? I mean, you read this, and I'm not just like, here, come on, guys, do it, come on. I'm like, gosh, this is unbelievable how it changes our paradigm of how we love and who we love. Like, it's not natural. But this, this is what we're to value as people. This is how we're to love as image bearers who are trying to love fellow image bearers who oftentimes don't bear their image well. Just like oftentimes we don't bear our image well. We often think that people that don't repay us are somewhat worthless to us. Tim Keller brilliantly puts it this way. We, we all want to help kind-hearted, upright people whose Poverty came upon them through no foolishness or contribution of their own and who will respond to our aid with gratitude and joy. However, almost no one like that exists. Don't you love it when like, you serve and someone like, gosh, thank you so much for all the time you spent doing that. No, that was such heart. Like, we want that. We want to be thanked. We want to be applauded. But that's not how God calls us to love people and value people. And the last thing that I'll end with is probably one of the hardest. It's this loving people demands we inconvenience ourselves. Ugh. Who likes that? Like we're all, especially in uh, American culture, 
we're all about convenience. It's like, doggone it, my Netflix won't load. It's like buffering the feed. My kid can't watch some stupid show. So I can stop listening. Like, we're all about convenience. And we transition that into how we love and see people. And loving people demands that we inconvenience ourselves. That it's difficult. That we, like, how convenient of, of it of, was it for Jesus to come and give up his life for us? No. I love this quote by this guy. I have no clue how to pronounce his name. Love is not love until it's been tested by inconvenience and it endures in self-sacrifice. When the world wants to put up a picture of love that's about dominating, that's about you're in control and you're in charge and you give where you want to give and you, you produce what you want to produce and you love the kind of people that will give back to you and will do for you what you want, will submit to you while you dominate them. When the world wants to paint that picture of love, Jesus comes and he gives up his life. It was not convenient. And it was not easy. And we didn't perform in a way that made him pleased with us so that he would come to us. Yet he came. So gosh, I, I, just, I just want us to ask this question as we respond to the Lord. Is how are we doing at loving fellow image bearers? How are we doing? Let me pray and I'll uh, lead us into what we're going to do for response time. God, would your spirit probe us in that regard? God, I'll just confess that I love loving people that offer me something. I love loving kids that obey. I love serving people that will give something back. I love serving my neighbor when he will do something for me in return. I love doing what's convenient and easy. And God, so often I'm guilty of not seeing everyone as someone who bears your name, whether or not they live it. God, as we uh, prepare to respond to you, Lord, I pray that you would uh, you'd convict our hearts. God, that you'd remove any sense of um, shaming, any sense of the enemy wanting to manipulate. And I realize as your people, there's no condemnation. So I've got to realize it's easy in a message like this for, for us to feel like the enemy is manipulating us and bringing a, a false sense of shame on us. And God, I just pray that as we think on you and respond to you, that you would propel us a little more down the road of what it looks like to bear your image in how we love fellow image bearers. And so God, uh, just thank you for your grace. Would you lead us to celebrate it now? In Jesus' name, amen.